Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. This podcast is brought to you by True Niagen. What's up, everyone? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book, and Ketotarian and the Inflammation Spectrum. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, and there's lots of free resources there as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. All right, let's get to today's guest. Today's episode is with Dr. Charles Brenner, the Alfred E. Mann Family Foundation Chair in Diabetes and Cancer Metabolism at City of Hope, who is also, fun fact number one, a research pioneer in the area of nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide or NAD+, which I'll teach you and Dr. Brenner will teach you all about today which is a molecule which is key to the to the life and the health of every cell of our body. It's very important. And he's also the discoverer of nicotinamide riboside, that pathway. When you're hearing all the conversation about NAD plus and NR, what is it? Well, you're going to learn about it today, why it's so important for your health. He actually is the man that discovered the pathway as a vitamin precursor to NAD+. He's also the chief scientific advisor at bioscience company Chromadex, which is a leader in NAD research and innovation. All right, let's get to the conversation. Dr. Brenner, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Good to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. All right, let's start with something that I know everybody that's listening right now, they're a bunch of super nerds when it comes to health and wellness and the latest research out there. And they're hearing a lot about NAD, NAD+. Like, and, and some people, they don't really know what it is, 
but they're hearing they should take it. So let's okay. start with, with, with the basics. What is NAD? What is NAD? Wow. Okay. So we'll, we'll spell it out, you know, once. And then after that, we'll just say NAD. I don't usually even pronounce the plus, but NAD is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It's actually four different things in cells, four different coenzymes that carry electrons in cells. So believe it or not, animals and plants are electrical creatures. Metabolism involves the flow of electrons. And to be perfectly blunt, NAD coenzymes are essentially the wiring that carries electrons in our metabolism, not only converting the food that we eat into the biological energy of ATP, but converting everything that we eat into everything that we are, right? Because we built all of our own cells and muscles and bones and eyes and everything. We, we make our own DNA, we repair it. We make our own RNA protein, lipids. All of that involves metabolic transformations. Many of these metabolic transformations are catalyzed in reactions that require NAD, NADH, NADP, and NADPH. And what these four coenzymes do is they carry electrons that make possible all of the metabolism that makes possible life as we know it. That's how fundamental NAD is. Right. So it's it's fundamental to every cell of our body and this depletes over time. What are some stressors in our life that can have an impact on NAD? Well, you know, so I'm known for two things, right? Uh, Will, I'm known for discovering the nicotinamide riboside pathway. So this is an NAD precursor vitamin that gets converted into NAD. But then I'm also known for another thing, which is finding that the NAD system is disturbed by many different conditions of metabolic stress. And so we, we essentially, we developed something called targeted NAD, quantitative NAD metabolomics, which means that we can measure from any tissue or cell sample or blood, we can measure the levels of these NAD coenzymes and all the intermediates. And we find that there's many conditions of metabolic stress in which the NAD system is disturbed. So one that people kind of knew about is alcohol use, right? So it turns out that in alcohol metabolism, NAD plus goes to NADH. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing really wrong with interconversion between NAD plus and NADH. That's actually how ATP gets made. But with a lot of alcohol, the NAD pool becomes what's called reduced to this NADH form, and that depresses other aspects of metabolism. So that was kind of known. We show that that's true in actual human beings and in people with alcoholic liver disease. But in addition, we and others have shown that obesity, type 2 diabetes, noise-induced hearing loss, heart failure, central neurodegeneration, peripheral neuropathy, Um, probably time zone disruption, and many other types of metabolic stresses, infection, inflammation, lactation, 
disturb the NAD system. And so a lot of people talk about aging, disturbing the NAD system. I'm actually not sure that it's like a timer and that it's simply the amount of time that you're on this planet. It may be entirely episodic that, you know, like, for example, when you have reactive oxygen species damage, you churn this important NAD coenzyme called NADPH. When your DNA gets damaged, NAD plus gets consumed in repairing the DNA. So repeated sun exposure and repeated DNA damaging agents will deplete NAD in skin cells and sun-exposed tissues episodically. So I'm not even sure that it's time on the planet, right? Mm. There are people that use NAD boosters that are 20, 25-year-old football players. They haven't been on the planet a real long time, but they're involved in things that involve a lot of repair. So the NAD system gets disturbed in a lot of metabolic stresses that depend upon metabolism for repair. I love that. So well said. I'm like still geeking out that I'm talking to the guy that found the nicotinamide riboside pathway and how it's a precursor NAD. I mean, you're like my hero. <laughs> I should have your poster on my clinic wall. But <laughs> I, I want to know, how, where. let's set the stage. Like, where were you yeah. when all this was happening? How did you find it? Like, yeah. take me through that. Okay, okay. So uh, 2003, um, I just moved the lab from uh, my first independent academic position, which, which was in Philly. I started off at Thomas Jefferson University in 1996, running a lab that was primarily interested in cancer. And we ran into an enzyme called glutamine-dependent NAD synthetase. I'm a biochemist. I'm an enzymologist. I love enzymes. Left to my own devices, I find a really interesting enzyme and I geek out on weird little things of like, oh, wow, this enzyme has two active sites and I wonder how they're coordinated with each other <laughs> and other problems that 12 other people in the world are interested in, <laughs> okay? But 2003, when we moved from Philly, Thomas Jefferson University to Dartmouth College up in the, near the North Pole in New Hampshire, a beautiful place, by the way, Will, if you've ever been there. I haven't, no. Oh, my goodness. Dartmouth so, is so lovely. Um, I started realizing that, you know, a lot of people could be interested in not just how this enzyme works, but the product of the reaction of the enzyme. So glutamine-dependent NAD synthetase, that's an enzyme that makes NAD+, the central catalyst of metabolism, right? You can't make the three other NAD coenzymes without making this NAD plus. And the enzyme that I was working on, glutamine-dependent NAD synthetase, was described in these wiring diagrams. You know, these metabolic wall charts that yeah. make your eyes glaze over. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's at a place in the, in the wall chart where it looks like there's no way to make NAD without that gene, without that enzyme, right? But in my imagination, there was another way that you could make NAD. In fact, I knew of some weird bacteria that can make an NAD, NAD for another way. There's some weird bacteria 
called Haemophilus influenza that could make NAD from nicotinamide riboside that would not require that particular enzyme, right? So we basically said, you know, the system that we've built, this kind of molecular biology system that we built to figure out how the enzyme works, we can use that to figure out how the NAD biosynthetic pathway works. And if there's any other biosynthetic precursors or genes and enzymes that could be used to make NAD. And it was from doing those experiments that we discovered the NR pathway, the NR kinase pathway. And then mm-hmm. NR is a vitamin precursor, not only in yeast, but in humans, mm-hmm. right? Because we found the genes and the, and, and the enzymes. And, you know, since then I've gone from working on a, you know, three or four things to really doing all things related to NAD as, as relates to diabetes, obesity, postpartum, lactation, cancer, infection, inflammation, you name it. Mm. So can you define, we mentioned nicotinamide riboside, this being a vitamin, it's like a special form of a B vitamin. How would you describe it yeah. to the layperson? That's like, how is this different than like a regular B, B vitamin? Niacin? Yeah, so the B3s that were known were discovered in 1938. I mean, you know, the thing, it's like, you know, planets, there always were, I guess we could have an argument about whether Pluto is a planet. When I was, you know, in school, it was, it wasn't yeah. for a while. I, I think it might be back to, to having nine planets, right? Somebody <laughs> might decide there's an asteroid big enough to be a planet and that we could have 10, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, those things are out there, they exist. But then, you know, somebody has to do the work to figure out, you know, what, where they are and what their roles are, right? So there always was a, you know, nicotinamide riboside as a, as a precursor, but nobody knew about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody knew about regular niacin, nicotinamide, and nicotinic acid as vitamin B3 until Conrad Elvihem discovered them in 1938. And so 1938, it was, you know, actually in 1920 or so, there was a pan- <laughs> there was a pandemic in the United States called pellagra. Uh, there was a nutritional deficiency in the southern United States called pellagra, where people had really bad diets and and uh, there was a lot of corn in people's diets and people didn't didn't uh, nixtamize corn the way the the Native Americans did and by developing these milling machines that made corn meal in a industrialized process and having a diet that had lots of lard and lots of cornmeal in it, people became vitamin B3 deficient and developed diarrhea, dermatitis, and dementia. You probably uh, learned about this in medical school, right? Yeah. And then the first recipient of a public health service grant, uh, Joseph Goldberger, discovered that fresh food would basically cure and prevent pellagra. And then LVM in 1938 found that the thing in food that that was missing was essentially NAD precursors, right? So then pellagra goes away because we have a better diet. We can enrich flour, right, with forms of vitamin B3. And then we come along in 2004 and say there's also nicotinamide riboside, right? So what's the use case of nicotinamide riboside and why isn't it enough maybe to have fresh food or the existing forms of vitamin B3? I think that's the question, right? Yeah. 
So the answer is genes, okay? So the answer is that there are really four different ways that different cells can make NAD. There are cells in your liver that can make NAD from amino acid tryptophan, hmm. right? They don't really need any vitamins. They can make NAD from scratch in what's called the de novo pathway. And then particular cells in different, different tissues express different genes, meaning that they're looking for particular vitamins in order to make NAD from a particular source. Mm-hmm. And nicotinic acid, which we usually call niacin, is the most limited in its availability. Also, high doses of nicotinic acid, which though they could be useful for controlling blood lipids, right? They also cause a flushing reaction. Yeah. What's striking about nicotinamide riboside is that stressed cells and stressed tissues seem to be looking for NR. Hmm. So for example, in a failing heart and also in a failing neuron, when the NAD system is under attack, mm-hmm. the nicotinamide riboside kinase genes get turned up. And the reason is that NR is the biggest piece of NAD that can get into cells. NAD itself can't get into cells. NMN can't get into cells. NADPH, which is as important an NAD coenzyme as any, has three phosphates in it, can't get into cells. NAD has two phosphates. NMN has a phosphate. You strip off the phosphates, the biggest piece of NAD is NR. And so when a cell is under a bioenergetic stress, it can't make enough NAD because it's deploying its NAD to repair DNA or all those other stresses that we talked about. It's looking for NR because it can rebuild its NAD pool at a lower cellular cost, Mm. right? So like when we were doing these experiments where mice were getting heart failure, turns out that nicotinamide can't restore NAD to a failing heart because they're losing expression of a gene called NAMPT that converts nicotinamide into NAD, right? Mm -hmm. They're spiking up their expression of nicotinamide riboside kinase too, because if they can get NR, uh, if that Cardio, failing cardiomyocyte, a failing heart can get NR, it can rebuild its NAD supply mm-hmm. through NR at a lower cellular cost. So basically, people that are supplementing with NR are basically giving their cells and tissues the precursor yeah. that is preferentially used when cells are stressed when you want to maintain your NAD levels. So we think that it's kind of a premium, you know, NAD precursor. We think the use case is that for repair, you know, inflammation and Mm -hmm. other kinds of inevitable stress, like reactive oxygen species, that comes from living in air, which is inevitable. Sunlight is good. You can't make you know, your own vitamin D without it, right? But also, you know, damages uh, DNA. So we think the use case for NR as opposed to other forms of vitamin B3 is that the NR genes get ramped up when cells and tissues need it. 
But the other it. forms of vitamin B3 are great, you know, great things. We mm-hmm. think that NR has some special properties. Yeah, well, it makes sense. So we have these precursors to, to NAD. You mentioned NR. Another one that I, I get asked a lot from patients is, okay, I'm hearing about NMN, which you mentioned in passing there. So you just feel, is it fair to say, it's just not as bioavailable or usable to the body when it's stressed out? Is that fair to say? What's the differences? NMN is kind of a silly, weird thing to supplement with because a chemist has to put the phosphate group, NMN is NR with a phosphate on it. And the thing is that a chemist puts that phosphate on at considerable cost, right? And then a human being is ingesting the NMN. The NMN has to be basically digested back to NR in order for cells to take up NR and make NMN inside the cells. So it, it sort of just doesn't really make sense. It would be the same thing as taking NAD or NADPH. Like NADPH is what cells want to detoxify reactive oxygen species. So you can say, oh, you know, Dr. Brenner, if I want to fight ROS, why don't I take NADPH. And the answer is NADPH will be degraded back to NR. So your cells have to make their Mm -hmm. own NAD and NADPH from precursors, vitamin precursors. Vitamins don't have phosphates on them. They just don't. And this is, this is known. Got it. And by fighting Ross, you mean reactive oxygen species, not a guy named Ross, just to clarify that. Not a guy named Ross. You don't want to fight um, Ross. Don't mess we with don't, him. We don't know. We're, we're lovers. We're not fighters. <laughs> All right. Let, uh, another thing that you get asked a lot, I'm sure I get asked a lot, is what do you think of the NAD IV drips? They, they hear about it. They, should they do it? What are the benefits? I sure wouldn't do it. I mean, there's no safety dossier that I know of for NMN, first of all. Like, you literally don't know what's in the bottle. And, and, and this is where I'll do my, you know, disclosure, right? So you, you were just asking me, I was minding my own business at Dartmouth when I was working on an enzyme, discovered NR as a vitamin precursor of NED, blah, 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 developed some IP. And that intellectual property was developed by Chromadex. I'm the chief scientific advisor of Chromadex. There's a branded form of NR, blah, blah, blah. And so that's all disclosed. Oh yeah. And so the Chromadex has a product, right? That has a safety dossier that goes with it, right? I'm not even mentioning the name name of the product, but everyone can, can find it. But NMN, you know, there's a lot of brands of NMN. You don't really know what is in uh, the bottle. It's not considered a new dietary ingredient by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. They rejected that. NAD, I don't know what's in the drip bag. You know, I don't know who made that. I don't know what the standards are. But even if you're dripping pure NAD, the NAD has to be degraded back to NR before it can get into any cells. Wow. Plus, NR is orally available. You know, where does NR... So my little fake background here is... um, (laughs) the beautiful uh, Japanese uh, garden at City of Hope. So let's say I'm a frog or I'm a monkey in, in the forest in, in Japan and I'm just eating figs or I'm eating whatever whatever I eat. How am I getting my NAD? How do the Hazda people in, in Africa get their NAD? They get their NAD from eating whole foods with a small W and a small F. 
because and the NAD coenzymes are the central catalyst of metabolism in people. They're the central catalyst of metabolism in a cow. They're the central catalyst of metabolism in a fig. They're the central catalyst of metabolism in avocado. They're central catalyst of metabolism in in mushrooms and anything that we eat. And those NAD coenzymes break down into vitamins. Okay, and so our digestion, we're forming the vitamins and our cells are taking up those vitamins and rebuilding our NAD. Mm-hmm. We have the, all the enzymes, the digestive enzymes and the biosynthetic enzymes to do that. There's no reason to drip NAD, you know, and have NAD break down and then be, I mean, you don't have to get it that way. You can basically, if you've decided that you want to supplement, you could supplement with a supplement, with an yeah. orally available supplement. You yeah. don't need to have a needle in your arm. Got it. So yeah, I, I, me, I don't, I don't like needles. I got my, my vaccine very, very gladly against, you know, SARS-CoV-2, but I don't see the use case. Yeah. You don't electively wanting ne- needles. Yeah. You don't no, want no, signing up no, for the IV. No, 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 <laughs> no, absolutely not. All right. I, I, I take it orally as well. I take the NR orally. So I am so curious, you mentioning the upcoming research that you're really working on and immersing yourselves in NAD and its connection to inflammation and all of these health issues that I know the listeners of this podcast are so interested in. So can you, if you can speak on it, like what is in the pipeline, what you're seeing with your latest research on this pathway? Yeah, well, you know, we find that the NAD system is disturbed in a lot of conditions of, of metabolic stress, right? So we learned so much from, from, from rodents, right? But you can only go so far from rodents. You have to take the information that you learned in a mouse or a rat model and then, you know, try to test it in, in human beings. And we want to pre-register our hypotheses and, you know, and, and see if we, we meet those ends and we don't make human claims unless we can, you know, demonstrate those things in, you know, placebo-controlled trials. But the activities of NR in, in rodents are, are nothing short of remarkable, right? So you can blunt weight gain in, in rodents on high-fat diet, and you can reduce the development of fatty liver, and you can lower the incidence of diabetic uh, neuropathy and chemotherapeutic neuropathy in and rodent models. And so there are human clinical trials for neuropathy. There were human clinical trials for weight loss and insulin sensitization, which basically failed because, you know, I don't believe in miracles. I believe in science, right? And so if you try to test whether NR is going to cause, you know, weight loss in 12 weeks of people that don't alter their lifestyle in any way, it will fail. Right. Mm-hmm. But but in the course of a, of, of a small study of older, overweight Danish guys, uh, people found, wow, it's actually moving. It looks like it's moving the, the needle on their fatty liver. And so we want to see fatty liver trials conducted, you know, in human beings. We've seen remarkable effects in rodent models of postpartum and lactation. We know of human clinical trials that are going to test the activity of of NR in new moms that either have premature uh, babies or 
that are milk insufficient to see whether it boosts their milk output and maybe increases the quality of the milk. And then we are really, really interested in infection and inflammation. And we've discovered a number of things that were hypothesis generating from preclinical data. And there's now clinical data, you know, on COVID of NR in combination with with other over-the-counter supplements, looking like it accelerates time to recovery from COVID. That's not a reason to not take the virus very, very seriously. And uh, NR has not been tested as a solo agent that would accelerate recovery, but in combination, looks like it does accelerate recovery. People are also looking at it in the context of long COVID. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. there's a lot of things going on on the preclinical side, which means everything from cell lines to animal models, and mm-hmm. then there's a lot of things that are being tested in in people. Got it. And I. I... I know people are going to be wondering about this and I know you don't want to be giving medical advice or be too prescriptive, but just like, do you have like what the studies are showing, like general ranges of dosages, what people should be looking for when they're looking for an NR uh, supplement? Well, you know, basically, you know, there's a company that, that I consult for Chromadex that, that has a clean FDA reviewed product that has a 300 um, milligram um, daily dose and that further, you know, distributes, you know, the, the product through healthcare practitioners at a 500 milligram dose. Human clinical trials are usually done at one to two grams per day. So at, at, at higher doses where safety has been seen in uh, placebo-controlled studies. So we know that there's a lot of people that have taken, you know, one to two grams per day and everybody with it, you know, the, the COVID pandemic has learned a lot about, you know, placebo controlled studies and the fact that if you look at lots and lots of people, there's, you know, there's people that get a headache every day, you know, with or without an intervention, right? And so it's only in a placebo controlled study that you can say whether something causes flushing or doesn't cause flushing. NR does not cause flushing. It's only a placebo-controlled study that you can, you know, determine um, safety. And the safety of this looks really good. Why? Because, like I said, NAD is in food. NAD breaks down to NR from food. Mm. And so basically what you're doing, you know, when you're, you're supplementing with a vitamin is you're giving some somebody more of something that is good. And this is not a fat-soluble compound, so it doesn't look like something that you could easily overdose from. Yeah. But the short answer to your question is that the consumer dose is 300 milligrams and there are people that do take more. Got it. Thank you for that. Um, all right, Dr. Brenna, as you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. We talk about the science and the art of wellness. And this part of the podcast is about your art of being well. This is Dr. Okay. Brenner's favorite things. Can I call you the demigod of NR? Is, is that all right? Oh, to no, 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 God. <laughs> You could you, you call me the maybe the, the, the modern father of NR research. But you're too humble. Like, I was thinking like, but not full God, just like a slightly no, 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 above no, 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 stay healthy and happy and yeah, so, active. Yeah, well, I'm going you know, to roll, I'll, I'm going to throw questions at you and you just tell me your favorite things. Okay, sure. Okay, cool. So number one, 
if you're stuck on a desert island, if you have nowhere to go, you're, you're talking purely on survival, nutrient density. What is one food? If you only had to pick one food, what would that be? I have to hunt, hunt it and gather it. Uh, no, it could be prepared. It could be prepared by the mermaids that bring the demigods. Oh, this, is, oh, this is a really nice island. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like what's my go-to, but I yeah. can only eat one thing. N- nutrient density. You want to survive the longest. What would that food be? Or- oh, I don't like this. I don't like this <laughs> island. It's not a good island. I like a variety. Okay. I mean, I'm relatively omnivorous. I'm almost zero dairy, which is ironic because we found nicotinamide riboside in milk, right? But I mean, I I love fish. I love, you know, salmon, but I can't imagine eating it, you know, <laughs> all day three long. squares a day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I can imagine eating it every day. But I love vegetables and I do, I for sure do, you know, small portions of, you know, poultry and and red meat. Love it. All right. So this is a completely opposite of the spectrum. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, purely on taste, like health, nutrient density aside, what would that food be? You're you're only giving me one dish. (laughs) Yeah, this is what I want to know the best of the best. The best of the best. Well, I make a grilled salad that is really amazing, but it has a lot of ingredients in it. All right. But I mean, I, I have I have dozens of ways of making eggplant. Many of them involve cooking on a on a wood fire. But like I say, I love grilled vegetables. I love Middle Eastern food. Great. Um, I may I grill my pizza. My pizza doesn't have dairy on it. Wow. Um, it does have it does have fish on it. I'm pro anchovy. Me too. Um, That's what I would say. If I was stuck on an island, I would probably say anchovies. Anchovies. Yeah. Not on taste, but just like complete protein, omega fats. I wouldn't want to be eating it all day, but. (laughs) Yep. 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 I could do that. All right. What is one, I don't know if you're into biohacking or not, but some people that listen to the show are, what is your latest biohacking tool? If you have one that you're really into. I'm, I'm kind of boring in that regard. I mean, I basically, I don't stay up super late. I don't eat real late, but I'm not an IFer. I do have breakfast. I don't do a lot of sweets, but I'm not, you know, anti-carb. I love working out. I lift my body weight in a lot more. I joined a climbing gym. I like, you know, I like kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool intellectually and, and physically, I like, I like being a ranked beginner among people that know a lot of things. So I didn't know how to climb, do bouldering. So I recently joined a bouldering gym. Um, I did, did hit for a few years, high intensity interval training. I've done hot yoga. I love cycling, um, love hiking, but in terms of like biohack, like I don't do weird, I don't, I don't have the weird. You don't gadgets. Boxes. You're not in an, in an ice bath or doing anything like that. I, I, I would do it, but it's not part of, you know, my super common practice. I certainly love hot bathing. Uh, yeah. I, I like the cold plunge, but I just don't do it all the time. Yeah, I'm the same guy. I, I'm the same. I'm honestly pretty similar to you. Keep it simple. Um, all right. What's one wellness myth that you hear and it drives you crazy that you would like to dispel. Maybe it's not a myth. Maybe it's like a narrative that's not true. What, what, what would you say? The wellness myth? 
Well, you know, it's well known, you know, on Twitter, if people want to follow me, Charles M. Brenner, that the keto bros don't don't love me that, really? that much. Yeah, the keto bros don't don't love me because the the idea that the only way for weight maintenance is to be very low carb, I, I think is just wrong. Mm-hmm. And um like people were lean in the Far East for thousands of years on a you know high percent rice, which is high glycemic index, high percent carb diet. And carbohydrate use as well as refined sugar usage has been going down for the last two decades while obesity continues to go up. Yeah. So it's it's really energy balance, you know, that ultimately controls our our body weight. And so people have to kind of get their energy input and their energy expenditure, you know, in line. And so people can sustainably do uh, do keto or um, low carb, high fat, and, and that's sustainable for them. That's great. But the science behind it and the so-called carbohydrate ins- insulin uh, model or carbohydrate insulin hypothesis essentially has been disproven by feeding studies not considered is not consistent with epidemiology and mm-hmm. tends to be associated with really high LDL cholesterol and mm-hmm. other things that are not super healthy. So I would say that that's a, that's a pretty prevailing myth. I, I like it. And I, I get that. I, when I wrote my first book, I really advocated people to be more mindful of, and I'm always talk, talking about it with patients too, is this toxic diet tribalism where they think that's the way, right? That's yeah. the only way. And you know, I think the way that I advocate, if someone's going to do keto, to do a cyclical a whole foods, more pescatarian approach, not like bacon and butter all day long, chronically. I, I don't think it serves people long-term. No, no, I don't think it does either. Um, all right. So- you mentioned being a lover of science and, and that's kind of your background, but I'm curious, do you have any spiritual or mindfulness practice? It doesn't have to be spiritual, just some mindfulness practice that's really been a game changer for you? Well, uh, gratitude is so, so important, you know, trying to, trying to be, you know, positive, trying to be, you know, connected with, with other people, I'm a Jew. It's right now. We just finished um, our, you know, first ten days of the year, the Rosh Hashanah and and Yom Kippur, and we're moving into something called Sukkot, which is the harvest season, where you're like grateful for, you know, the bounty, you know, that was created in, in the summer, and you go out and have a meal in an outdoor hut, which is kind of a a cool thing. So I like to sort of observe, you know, the seasons uh, that way. Be be grateful and be, you know, thoughtful when I put food uh, in my mouth. So, you know, try to be, try to be happy, try to be positive, try to be connected. I love that. I love it. I fasted for Yom Kippur. Do you, do you fast on the holidays or? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great. All right. Last question. What is one book that you've read in the last year that has really inspired you? It doesn't have to be health or wellness, just something that's really made it positive impact for you in the past year. Well, right now I'm reading uh, a book uh, by Herman Ponser on metabolism called Burn, uh, in which, you know, he, he talks about the science of, of metabolism and what he learned from studying the Hausa people in, in Africa. And uh, Herman a, is a great 
uh, scientist and actually a newly uh, collaborating uh, with me. He's a he's a scientist at Duke University. He turns out to be quite a good writer. So uh, that's been influential to me. Great. The Hadza research looking at the microbiome diversity has always been fascinating for me. I don't know if you, do you look at that stuff as well? Is, does microbiome research geek? I, I, that's my love language is microbiome research. <laughs> that's, that's, that's cool. So, I mean, the Hadza are, are striking because they're so active, right? And if you don't store a, a lot of food and, you know, then you've got to be active, you know, hunting and, and, and gathering every day. And it's, you know, their cardiovascular health is is wonderful. Um, I think it's obviously related to their high level of physical activity. Yeah. Dr. Brenner, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. All right. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much to Trinagen for sponsoring this episode. I love the conversation I had with Dr. Brenner. Learn how you can redefine an aging today by visiting trunyagen.com. Dot com. That's T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.